Welcome to Mansi, a podcast about magic and its impacts on our culture. Today we have a set of bonus episodes for you, written by Elle, which is me, in the third person, to bother RJ. Uh, days without RJ bumping the table and knocking <laughs> the mic. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That was a callback joke. It was a callback joke. In each set of episodes, we cover a different mancy or method of magic. I'm Elle Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. With me is my co-host, RJ Walker. I'm RJ Walker. I am a spoken word artist and writer and all-around skeptical guy. (laughs) Skeptical Pants McGee. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Skeptical Pants McGee, private eye. Wait, um, when Jess makes us our bowling shirts, can we put that as your name? Skeptical Pants McGee. Amazing. That would be so Uh, good. uh, This dynamic is great because half the listeners are like, will RJ just shut the fuck up? And the other half of the listeners are like... Can Elle just stop being like that? (laughs) (laughs) That's literally the thing. So good. So... Last week, I began telling you the story of Baba Vanga, the Balkan Nostradamus. This week, we're going to dig into what act, what exactly made her so remarkable. Um, kind of. This is the part of the episode where the amount of information we have re- reduces greatly. There's a lot of media in existence about Baba Vanga. There are podcast episodes, movies, scientific studies, pictures, tape recordings, entire TV series, whole a whole entire museum even, and pop songs for and about Baba Vanga. However, many of those resources are no longer accessible, at least to me. I have a feeling this has to do with my geographic location and the threat um, that Russia has been causing to our cybersecurity. You see, Baba Vanga is a bit of a Slavic culture bomb. She was born in Macedonia near the Greek border. Her family were diehard patriots for Bulgaria. Throughout her parents and her own generation, there was conflict over her homeland, and it was this constantly it was constantly going through phases of revolution and changing governments. Her father's final wish when he died at the age of 54 was to have a Bulgarian soldier put the tip of his bayonet in the ground above his grave so he would know when Bulgaria had triumphed once again. I think part of the reason we don't have access to this media is because she was alive and actively working for the Bulgarian government. Yes, she worked for the Bulgarian government during the Cold War. Much of the scientific research and conservation of her efforts have been funded and supported by the Russian government. So I think that is the reason that so much of it is missing for us now. Well, and and who knows how much the Russian government would not allow to get out – uh, because, like, as we know, uh, the the Russian government does a very, very thorough Censorship. job of maintaining their image. Mm-hmm. So they would probably only release things that make Russia look good. Right. So and that I think is part of it as well. We don't know, like, at what point things were scrubbed from the Internet. Um, the weird thing for me is that when you search Baba Vanga, there are pages and pages of information on Google. And then when you go to these places, it's missing. They literally are telling the same watered down story over and over again. It's so it just is like internet telephone. Yeah. So know that know that as we go into this, this is when we start losing some of this important information. What I did find um 
I think is cool. I included some scientific stuff in here. I included what I could find. But just know that this is the part where we start losing the narrative of her story. And I just wanted to kind of lead with that. So all of this, plus her prophecies becoming relevant again when Donald Trump became infected with COVID-19, which she predicted by saying that the 45th president of the United States would become sick with a mysterious disease that will leave him death and, ca- death and cause brain damage. That's an exact quote. She said, a mysterious disease that will leave him death and cause brain damage. We don't know if that happened. Yeah, I don't I, think it did, but I don't know that we would know if that actually did happen. Well, I mean, if you look at if you look at Trump, I don't think he was any more brain damaged than he already <laughs> right. was before he got COVID nineteen, right. and he's definitely not deaf. Um, he definitely can hear. <laughs> so it didn't. The whole prediction didn't come true as far as we know. It is also false to say that she predicted that he would die of COVID-19. A lot of people say that she predicted that Trump would die of COVID-19. She didn't predict that. She just predicted um, that he would become deaf and have brain trauma. So um, obviously that didn't happen, but it's still interesting. It's still relevant. It still has to do with COVID. And um, one of the things I did find researching her was articles debunking her COVID predictions before we knew how bad COVID would be. So that's another part of it. Um, one of the debunking websites I found literally existed to say COVID is not as bad as we think it's going to be. Don't listen to the hype. Don't believe this woman who predicted that it was going to be bad because it doesn't have to be that bad. Of course, um, I mean, the CD- it got really bad. <laughs> the, the CDC and the uh, World Health Organization were straight up saying this is going to be bad. Yes. And that right was, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, January 29th was the debunking uh, website. Uh, article I found. So it was before like it had come to America. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but at the same time, the the WHO was just like sounding the fucking alarm on COVID-19. They were trying to tell people, yeah. And this was... So this that's in- I find it interesting that this debunker is like, this prophet is wrong, while at the same time ignoring like the World Health Organization and that's, the CDC. Right. So that's... I, I just think that that's like... Just know, to be totally upfront and honest, she is featured on debunking websites, and they debunked things that were actually really fucking bad. So, you know, there you go. Um, Things are terrifying in the world right now, and America is basically rabid. The amount of information being spread in bizarre and pointed channels is really creating wildly different narratives and experiences of the world. Baba Vanga's predictions can be aligned with conspiracy theories that foretell alien species taking over the planet and America screeching to a halt. I mean, we saw we see the same thing with with Nostradamus and other types of uh, prophets, Mm -hmm. uh, people who write prophecies and almanacs Uh, like that whole prediction that Nostradamus predicted 9-11, but it was really just like a college student in the 90s writing about how you could write anything vague and poetic sounding enough that Mm -hmm. people will think it comes true. So um, her prediction of 9-11 is actually one of her real predictions that she did predict. Um, And it says hers was the two brethren will be struck down by steel birds um, and it will leave, I think it was like America leveled or something like that. And so it's in verse still, but like when you look at it, it's like, 
Okay, remember when you showed me the French Revolution prediction from Nostradamus and you were like, Uh what is this referring to? And I was like, the French Revolution. And you were like, I would have never fucking got that. It's one of those things that I feel like if you're reading it with that lens, yes, for sure. But also as a psychic, I'm like, oh, very clearly that's what she could be referencing. So um, given the way some radicals have taken threats of 5G and caused millions of dollars in damage and threatened hundreds of lives, I believe her information has been repressed to prevent further harm from varying sources. Yeah. And I mean, isn't that just the way it goes with profits where like even even with like, you know, you look at dudes like Joseph Smith. I don't think he ever planned or could have predicted the way right, that people the, would the use church went stuff. now. I think a lot of that a lot of it was just like. I am God's chosen one. And people took that and they just fucking tornadoed that shit. They spun it so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's uh, that's how it with Nostradamus, like same thing where, uh, you know, his predictions are just spun to fit whatever like spooky thing somebody might might believe uh, with. Showing that, like, oh, he predicted this and it happened. But if you would have read that prediction before it happened, there's no fucking. You couldn't have known that. Yeah. That's what I was talking about, <laughs> right? And so I think you know, I think that is very, very likely that her stuff has been repressed because of COVID, because of the buzz around it, because of a lot of that. However, and I imagine with her being a Russian superstar, the yes. Russians were a lot quicker to stop that shit than so, America was because that's their mo usually. Well, and she. Loved Russia. She predicted that Russia would not only survive the world's changing climate, but that Russia would rule the world. And so I believe that's also part of this, that like there's politics at play and geographically where we are in the political climate of of the world is fucking terrifying. Governments everywhere have used – you know, like predictions, pro- profits, and stuff, divination, yeah. and predictions to make them look good. I mean, uh, f- fucking the Nazis made fake Nostradamus predictions. Oh that, yeah, to say that they would win because that does truly affect the morale of the people yeah. that are fighting. What they believe, right? So maybe not. Maybe that didn't happen. Maybe this isn't a conspiracy. Maybe things are not being repressed. Maybe it's just this weird black hole of information that belongs to another reality. That we happen to bump into yeah. to have Baba Vanga. It's in a night. It's in a library in Nightvale. <laughs> maybe, maybe she's just a boring Bulgarian grandmother that doesn't actually matter. I'm not sure. I well, I mean, whether whether she was like the 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 prophet of prophets. Uh, that could be debated, but whether she matters, absolutely she matters, right? Uh, especially right. to the Russian government, who you said she was working for. Just wait. Well, Bulgarian government. But Bulgarian yeah. government. So I, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure why you can see that information exists, but I can't I can't get it here. I guess if you know why, send us an email at mancypod at gmail.com or yeah. send me the videos. And like I will give you a P.O. box. We have a P.O. box that we could use. If you can get a copy of any of her movies and send them to me, I'll probably give you like a free hour-long rating over the phone. That's like $100. So – like, for real, um, if you want that, email us at MancyPod. Send me Phenom, which is the scientific study that they've done of her with English subtitles, please, with an English option on it, and I will give you a free reading. So, yeah, probably that has to happen from our listeners that are not in America because I'm not sure that they're going to have much better luck finding it than I did. But um, all of that being said, here's more of Baba Vanga's story.
We are meeting Vanga at the beginning of World War II. Just as her village has been ransacked by the Nazis, this is the moment where she has a divine spark and finds her place in the world. She has just greeted her neighbors in her front yard and told every one of them where their beloved fathers and sons were, each prediction and accurate accounting of the men. Word of Baba Vanga's information and predictions of the lost men spread like wildfire across the village and beyond. As World War II raged in Europe, people flocked to Vanga, hoping for news of their husbands and sons. She was so scarily accurate. One day, the Tsar of Bulgaria, Tsar Boris III, called on her. Tsar Boris had a friend who was like a grandmother to Vanga and her younger sister, Layabka. They called her grandmother Tina. Tina requested an audience for an old friend with Vanga. On April 8th, April and May are big, big months for her. Almost everything happens in April and May, which is interesting. Mm. Just a thing I noticed in my research. On April 8th, 1942, Tsar Boris stepped into the ruinous shack of Baba Vanga. He did not even speak a word before Vanga delivered his message. Your power is growing. It has spread wide. But be ready to soon fit your possessions in a nutshell. Be ready. Remember the date, August 28th. Boy, you are about to get fucked. Tsar Boris, overwhelmed and a bit haughty, left without asking any questions. Bulgarian Tsar Boris III died on August 28th, 1943. Um, which nutshell did he use? I know, right? I was like, do, do they do, – is that something I don't know about death that like the Grim Reaper shows up with a nutshell and he's like, put everything you need in here. He's just dingling it <laughs> like a like, little, little teeny you tiny You are walnut. an especially good boy, so here's a whole walnut shell. <laughs> right. Um she was rewarded for her creepily accurate prediction by three women who were relatives of Tsar Boris. They wanted to know what awaited the royal family. Vanga told them they must tie a red ribbon to the posters of the Tsar's bed. She was very insistent that it was red. The women did not return, but just over a year later, on September 9, 1944, the Bulgarian royal family hoisted the red banner of victory over their palace. Bulgaria had once again been returned to Baba Vanga and her people. Oh, get the bayonet ready. Right. I know. It's time for the bayonet. Get the bayonet ready. So yeah. she tied the red ribbon. What was that? Some kind of like sympathetic magic she was telling them to do? or I think it was. So basically the story was like that they went and they said you predicted the death of the Tsar. So if people don't know what a Tsar is, it's the king. It's yeah. the king of Bulgaria. So this is a time period when Bulgaria is not the country. So this is not the government of the ruling people. It's still Yugoslavia. There's a lot of like discord, a lot of fighting, a lot of revolution, uprisings, that kind of stuff going on. So the Bulgarian royal family came to her and said what is going to happen. And the king of Bulgaria died. His family came back and um, she said to tie just a red ribbon. And it was interesting interesting because it was literally over his bed, like to honor him of like the work that he had done. And they were like, can it be white? Can it be pink? And she was no. like, no, red. Red ribbon or <laughs> destruction. Right. Exactly. So um, it just is interesting then that the red banner of victory got raised above his castle, kind of honoring and returning things back to Bulgaria. Fanga was not only found by royalty, but also by love. <laughs> Early in 1942, a 23-year-old Bulgarian soldier named Demeter Gustrov, Gustrova, 
Gushcherov went to Vanka <laughs> with several soldiers. You could just call me Dimitri. D- yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's Demeter because it's D I M I T A R, but I think it's Dimitri. But Demeter. Demeter. Yeah. Um, Demeter went to Vanga with several soldiers from his regiment. Demeter a- had actually dreamt of Vanga. She came to him in dreams and told him about the future and his fate. This is not to say that his dreams brought any positive news, <laughs> just that she came to him in them. Demeter event- finally found the opportunity to visit her with his regiment, but he lacked the courage to walk into her house. Demeter had decided to visit Vanga because he believed that she could tell him who had robbed and killed his brother, who was a merchant in the village of Sklava. It didn't matter that Demeter was afraid to face the voice of the divine because Vanga knew where he was and knew what had brought him. She walked to the door and called him by name. Demeter, enter the hut of Baba Vanga. Demeter, I know why you came, she said. You want to know the names of your brother's killers. Maybe I'll tell you them, but you must promise me that you will not take revenge. You will live and become a witness of their crimes at the trial. You see, Vanga would never tell information that would lead to revenge or evil doing. She knew when her information would have a negative consequence, and she refused to give it if that was the case. Uh, but she didn't predict the weird conspiracy COVID propaganda. Right. Well, it's, <laughs> that's a pretty low field one. The thing that's so interesting is, like, she didn't not tell people if she had to. But if people came to her and she knew that she couldn't stop something bad from happening, if she knew, like, uh, your husband's going to drink himself to death and that's what's going to happen, and it's going to happen in 18 years, and you're going to spend the next 18 years watching him slowly die, she's not going to tell someone that because they can't stop it. If she sees that there's an opportunity of, like, if you don't take care of your husband and get this taken care of, he will become an alcoholic and you will watch him die. But you can stop it. You can intervene. So um, I think part of what I love about her so much and something that I really identify with. That's pretty anti-fatalist for a prophet. I know. Well, I think that there that's kind of how I am, that like you see things all the time and you wonder like what good does it do to tell someone something. I don't predict death. I don't predict tragedies. I really don't. Um, because what when someone comes to me for a reading, they're not coming to me to hear about how awful life is going to be, you know, and I want to help people. And that's something that she really had to, which is what I think I identify with her so much is that it's just this feeling of like, you're this person who carries the heaviness of so many tragedies and so many hard things. And it's basically your job to look at people and try to give them something good, just like one good thing to hold on to. And, um, I, I guess I wonder, and she probably wondered too, at what point, um, do you not say something because it causes more harm than it does good? So I, it just is – it's interesting because I don't know that you can ever – you can't sit in judgment of her until you know, until you know that feeling of having someone sit in front of you and seeing something awful and not being sure what to do with that. So, yeah. Um, Vanga would never tell information that would lead to revenge or evildoing. She knew when her information would have negative consequences and she refused to give it if that was the case. Vanga always believed that a person should only strive to do and be good because evil deeds will never go unpunished and always lead to suffering far greater than the reward of the deed. 
When clients would come to her in despair and asked why life was so hard and things were so difficult, she would answer, to make it hurt more. Which I sometimes is the truth, because you earned it, because it hurts. Demeter was enthralled with Vanga and began courting her. They married on May 10th, 1942. I know we are all hoping that this is a moment of total turnaround for our hero. We want to see her have a fairy tale life full of happiness, good sex, and lots of money. But the truth is, life was really fucking difficult for everyone in 1942, and poverty didn't vanish just because you fell in love and moved a town over. Now, it probably got a lot worse as the war went on. Vanga and Layabka moved in with seven members of their new family into a home that was in worse repair than their shack. As with every man that has ever wanted to marry me, <laughs> Demeter's mother asked if this could really be his fate, if he should really marry the psychic who could not commit to being a housewife, which is a conversation I've been involved with in more than once. She was also constantly ashamed for being blind and viewed as a burden because of her blindness. Vanga was no stranger to adversity and did what she knew how to do. She took care of her family and turned the shack into a home and a place to receive the visitors who came to learn of their own fates. So she basically moved from this house that had been left to her by her father that she lived in with her sister into like another town that was a bigger town. Um, and Demeter's uh, Demeter's mother was dying. She couldn't take care of the house. She literally just laid in a bed like in a corner in one of the rooms. Like the entire house was covered in dust. The um, yard was completely unkempt. They had the three kids of his brother who was murdered as well as um, two other siblings of his living in the house. You're going to love it in the big city. <laughs> yeah. It's all hustle and bustle and there is one bakery and uh, a community toilet. Yes, that's it. So she literally traded one incredibly impoverished life for just another one. Um, and really, like, the issue came with, do you think it was received very well for this woman to be making money doing psychic work in 1942 in Bulgaria with her husband? A lot of that depends. Uh, so, like, for some people, I'm sure they were like, this is awesome. And for other people, I'm sure they were like, this threatens power uh, and is witchcraft and bad. Uh, kind of like we saw with uh, in the Irish Magic episode, uh, Biddy Early, who would, like, mm -hmm. just fucking do herbal cures for people. Uh, and the, the poor people loved her. Uh, yeah. But the people in the church and other power structures uh, in, in academia were like, we have to stop this. Well, so something that I think is really interesting about Baba Vanga is that she never actually faced like persecution from the government. Well, kind of she did. Maybe we'll talk about that. But most of it was like the reason she worked for the government was because she fucking needed help because there were so many people. People would like pack into her front yard from everywhere and they would all show up with their fucking sugar cubes and wait for a reading and just okay. sit there. You're going to have to explain the sugar cubes. I'm going to explain that in the next two paragraphs. That's okay. why I brought it up. So, yeah, like there just was like people would just like roll in and it became literally so overwhelming that she had to have help. So that was the only reason the government really intervened with anything with her. Mm. Um, but really, just think about from a man's perspective in 1942. Um, you see, her husband 
figured that she would just stop being a psychic. Like this was a thing that she did so he could find her, so they could fall in love, so he could own her, so she could stop being a psychic because he was just going to, you know, take care of his whole family, all uh, nine of them now living in a little teeny tiny shack in Bulgaria. And that wasn't what happened. She was the like primary breadwinner and everything. And that definitely caused some issues for her husband. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, men at that time do not like to be emasculated, uh, and they view any and they view any woman with power as an emasculating force. Yeah. So Baba Vanga began receiving clients at home regularly. She would tell clients to sleep with a sugar cube under their pillow and bring it to her to read. Clients would make the journey from all over the world, including America, for a chance to have a reading. She did not promise anyone a reading. Sometimes, like with her husband, she would see someone's fate before they even spoke. Other times, she would see nothing at all. She sent dignitaries and famous people away without a single word and would have peasants from villages sit with her for an hour. Baba Vanga did readings with a kind of authenticity and lack of propriety that felt hard to challenge. Vanga spent five years with her husband, sister, and their family working for her neighbors and people who traveled to catch a little bit of hope to take home. Of course, poverty was still widespread, and Vanga became the breadwinner of the house. This did cause friction in her marriage because Demeter expected her to quit reading when they got married. It took time for everyone to get settled into life in their new routine, but it started to seem like Baba Vanga would get to have the stable life she had always worked towards. Yay, stability! Woo! Of course! Of course, I can't let you think that Vanga was allowed happiness in her life. So I'm just going to take this moment to tell you that Demeter became an alcoholic after he fell ill in 1947. He couldn't sleep at night and his friend told him a glass of brandy would help him fall asleep. This spiraled into 12 long years as an addict's wife before he finally developed cirrhosis and was bedridden for the final six months of his life. Vanga's suffering was thick and clung to her like moss. She spent days crying and holding vigil with her husband. She would sit and whisper during the day, and no one knew if it was a six-month-long prayer of goodbye and grieving or for a petition for him to be saved. But the day he died was the day she completely committed the rest of her life to other people and their happiness. Baba Vanga had suffered enough and decided to be happy with the happiness that she gives to other people. Her family remembered her by that decision in those words. From the day after her husband died at the end, to the end of her life, she wore a black mourning shawl over her head and took visitors. It was her fate in this life to hold sessions for the people of the world and offer them some small slice of happiness and hope. So that's what she did. Well, um, I mean, that is the way it goes for a lot of people who have mental health issues and live in impoverished areas is because they don't have access to mental health care or actual medication. They self-medicate with what they have. And a lot of times what they have is alcohol. Um, and so that's, uh, that's not good. That sucks. I'm thinking about the scene in death note. We watched last night where the Shinigami, because the Shinigami in the show can see a person's lifespan above their head. Uh, and so he was just sitting there waiting because he knew that this was going to be the moment that the girl he loved uh, was yeah. going to die. Uh, and then he intervenes and it kills him because that's how you can't kill, do it. That's how yeah. you kill Shinigami. <laughs> it's not allowed. Um, but yeah, um, that that would definitely suck to know uh, when your partner is going to die. 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it just is like, I don't know. I think it's so hard because, um, or maybe, like I've said, I just have an affinity with her because in so many ways, she just wanted to have that life. She just wanted to be able to be married and be in love and have some sort of normalcy. And um, that wasn't the thing for her. And so it is, I don't know, it would be, it as a person who is probably actively watching someone I love die of alcoholism in a very real way, and I have been for years, um, there's almost nothing worse than that. It's pretty fucking awful. Yeah, so, it's, it's really awful to watch a slow death. It is. And just to watch someone slowly, like, just leech away from themselves. And I think the thing that was hard is, like, this is the 1940s. 1947 is when he began drinking. There are no mental health meds. That's not a thing that exists. This is – he's lived in a war-torn country, civil uprisings. He, he's lived through two world wars. He's, you know, had his brother die. He's taking care of his entire family. And um, I don't know how could it how could it not become that you know I think that's the thing that's really hard is what what was the other option there probably there wasn't but yeah don't drink to sleep yeah don't, that's not a good idea don't, drink, don't do that don't drink to sleep no uh, go to a doctor get some get some sleeping, sleeping pills meds, start with over the counter start with you know the melatonin the five HTP you know. But uh, alcohol, not an ideal sleep aid. No. And if you, like, really need it, you know, I'm on medical marijuana and my doctor has my THC down as my sleep aid. So that works really well for me. Highly encourage that to seek other things that are not incredibly habit-forming like alcohol. So that's your little wake-up call or if you're doing in- that. Or just incredibly damaging side effects like cirrhosis. Yeah, cirrhosis that you just die of your liver being poisoned, right? Anyway, by 1966, she was so renowned and sought after, the Bulgarian government put her on the state payroll. She was given two secretaries and a panel of people to interview potential patients slash clients. Now we're getting government money. The government not only saw it fit to hire people to keep her safe and stay organized, but also to study her abilities. So this is when, like... She was so helpful. Like, she was recognized as such an important person that the government was like, we have to fucking protect her. Like, we have to make sure this can be. Not only that, but like Bulgaria, not a particularly rich country, especially after World War II. Uh, There are legends that there is a person who can predict the future there. And it's drawing people to Bulgaria. And that was a big thing, the Uh, tourism of it. And on top of that, she predicted positive things for the Bulgarian government, Mm -hmm. uh, making her an effective morale and propaganda machine for them. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the government better give her fucking money. Right. So, yeah, she was put on the payroll. Um, Baba Vanga was the subject of many different scientific studies, including one led by – how do you say George in Russian? Like, what is the Russian name for George version of it? I don't know. Is it Georgi? Georg? Georg? Georg, yeah. Lazanov, a Bulgarian scientist known as the father of accelerated learning. So he developed the accelerated learning method, 
which is pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because he developed the accept- accelerated learning method. I would love to go. I would love to go into details and tell you all about a scientific study, but the place where to find that information is available as a as a movie called Phenom, and it is unavailable to me through every avenue I've searched. I found one copy in German that ships from the U- United Kingdom on eBay. And that was it. That was the only thing I could find. And that is the only place that his study is recorded. So they did a bunch of studies on her. Why why not publish the study in a peer-reviewed journal? So the amount of information I have about this, I have given to you. (laughs) So that's a big part of it is – and he was not the only one that did studies. I mean a lot of different scientists conducted a bunch of different kinds of studies. I think really what it came down to is the amount of funding that they had available and what they wanted to do with that. Something that was occurring kind of at the same time that I think had to do with them putting her on the government payroll was – Hitler using and studying not uh, like psychics during Nazism and all of that in Germany, as well as America doing that. And Russia was also um, doing those studies. And so I believe it was kind of a bandwagony thing. Um, and it was something that was coming up also during the Cold War that people were like concerned about. Yeah. I mean, the, the Cold War had America doing lots of crazy shit. Yeah, it did. Uh, like, you know, like the men who stare at goats. Yeah. And, uh, MK Ultra and shit like that. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of there were a lot of studies. There was a lot of data that was collected, but I believe that there wasn't money to do anything really with it other than make a movie, (laughs) make a couple of documentaries. So there are a couple of different documentaries. Phenom specifically is um, the one from the scientist that he did. Um, So in the studies, basically what he did, part of it was he sent out surveys to the clients that had visited her to see if their predictions came true. And he was the one that determined that Baba Vanga had an 80% accuracy rate based on the reporting, like the self-reporting. People who are big Baba Vanga fans will say that she had like an 85 to 90% accuracy rate. 80% tends to be because it was conducted by a scientist via scientific study, even though it was anecdotal, that's kind of the preferred accuracy rate that I choose to go with and that the internet kind of clings to. So I'd like to I'd, I'd be curious to see his sample size, but I suppose it's all in the the lost video. Right. So um, I do have sample size on another study that was done that I'm going to read to you like right now. But that like if you can find Phenom for real, if you can find it and you can send it to our P.O. box, I will give you a free reading, a whole hour long reading on whatever the fuck you want to talk about. If you can send me that because I'm dying to know like what the sample size is. I'm dying to know um, just all of the different things about how he conducted it, if there were other things that he did along with the study, all of that stuff is really intriguing to me. So other studies include the quantitative study of the Vanga phenomenon, because that's often what they called it was the Vanga phenomenon. She was so phenomenal that they were like, what do we call this? I don't know, the Vanga phenomenon, Um, in which Professor Velik Chico Dobrinov studied whether or not telepathic communication was possible between humans. It was found that, and this is the quotes from the, this is the, I guess, the data from the uh, study. In total, in 18 sessions, Bonga's conversation with 18 visitors, 820 Three messages were recording of what uh, were recorded, of which 445 were true. According to D- 
Dobrinov, 288 were alternate and 90 were erroneous. Based on these da- on this data, the the generalized coefficient of telepathic communication, CPC is what that's called, so that's the generalized coefficient of telepathic communication or CPC was calculated. On average, it is 0.76 with fluctuations from 6.46 to 8.43. So a one would be perfectly true. Like this uh, this statement was 100% true. A zero is the statement was not true. Um, Baba Vanga's was found like her rate was 0.716. So 71% accurate for her telepathic communication is what they found. Um To assess the meaning of the CPC value, we note the results of two special experiments. In them, instead of Vanga, two women cited and have cited having, um, sorry, this is translated, cited having fortune teller experience, but not having the abilities of Vanga talk to the visitors. So these are other psychics that are not Baba Vanga, but do have some sort of communication or like ESP going on. Um, And their CPC was equal to 2.60 and 2.3. So compared to Baba Vanga's 7.713 or 71%, they were 26 and 23% correct. So you're saying Baba Baba Vanga's Professor X is quite a bit higher than these other guys. Yeah, Um, these other women. But I'd just be interested to see if there is a peer review of this study. Yes. So if you can find that, (laughs) <laughs> let me know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of this stuff, like, I think the um, because the scientific studies were funded by the Russian government during the Cold War. Yeah. That, how the it, fuck are we going to find that? And, and at the same time, like. Who knows if it's accurate. Ru- Russia's findings that have been made public during the Cold War are not exactly the most trustworthy. (laughs) They're pretty biased. Right. So that's like, so, I mean, again, remember I started the story telling you, I'm going to tell you the information that I could find. Understanding that this is a story told from several different narrative points through a lot of different lenses, combining as much as I could find about this incredibly fascinating person. All right. We did study on a psychic lady in Bulgaria. And what we find is she is 71% uh, uh, psychic, so we construct a cerebro and begin recruiting uh, gifted children with powers like this from around the world, and we build Russian X-Men, the Soviet X-Men. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so Vanga wa- had the highest CPC in conversation, so the highest um, telepathic c- conversion rate in conversations on family medical topics, family medical topics, and then the death of people close to the quarant. So those were the things that she was the most accurate on, which is an interesting thing that that was kind of her. I feel um, like those are pretty common things, though. Well, so the thing that I haven't said that is a big part of Baba Vanga is that she was actually an herbalist. So when she would take clients, she would also take patients and then prescribe them different medications hmm. um, or different flowers. And she, um, it is said, literally, when you do research on Baba Vanga, you can look up things that are what the flowers said to Baba Vanga. And she would go for walks and touch flowers and they would tell her different things about what they could treat and how they could be used. So she was an herbalist and like basically a medical medium. So those are pretty common topics, but those were her specialties because she could treat stuff. Medical mediums can get ethically dubious though. Um, I don't know that any of this isn't ethically dubious. So there's that. (laughs) I think it's important to note that um, 
Dobrinov actually planted liars in the visitors to see if Vanga could out them, and she did. Every single time. Nice. Yep. One of them was a politician who posed as a wine cellar. And she was like, you shouldn't fucking be a wine cellar. That's not what you should fucking do. You should go be a politician. That's what you're good at. So um, when they were doing these scientific studies, they would plant people in there that were not genuine clients that had backstories and all sorts of stuff just to see if she could be accurate with them too. So interesting. Um, That reminds me of – our Tassio Mancy episode with the uh, the detectives that would yeah. be like, give me a T rating. Do you see this in the leaves? Bam. Bam. NYPD, <laughs> you busted. You busted. Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, Baba Vanga was just that, a grandmother, a person who cared for the people around her and took her misfortunes in stride. Always trying to enjoy the things she did have. Vanga did things her own way. It was often that dignitaries from around the world would come to her for a reading and she would refuse them or fall asleep on her couch if they would not leave. I'm tired. One day, a pregnant young woman came to her and asked which man was the father of her child. Vanga responded, Listen, when you eat beans, do you know from which grain you fart? Which I share not to slut shame, but to have a hearty chuckle because just imagine hearing this blind woman. That everyone calls grandmother being like, well, if you want to know the father, maybe uh, watch how many people you're having sex with. So she had people who would visit with different things like that. And just she's like Bulgarian Jerry Springer. Yeah. She's like, I don't fucking know. Have it. (laughs) The glowing knight says you are not the father. (laughs) Right. Um, I think all truly mystical people have this way of living in the world, but not necessarily with it. Baba Vanga is an example of a woman who came from some of the most horrific circumstances I can imagine and chose to follow the orders of a knight who showed up in her house one day in 1941. She was never destined to be ordinary, and the good that she brought the world echoed so far scientists and governments supported and protected her. Of course, you can look at the opposite of this and be horrified by those facts. We can look at the world we live in now and see the very real way her prophecies may have been removed or hidden because of the panic they created. Uh, well, also, like, how many prophecies were just straight up falsified? Like, right. Nostradamus's prophecies, so many were just straight up falsified. And she was illiterate, so she couldn't write them herself. There was no way for her to do that. So that's part of it, too. I think I like Baba Vanga so much because I believe that we're the same kind of psychic. I don't predict deaths and I don't predict horrible things. I read the energy and ask for the information that will help my clients. At times, I have softened the blows of information only to find that it didn't matter. The outcome was what I saw the first time. Once a client came to me and asked about her husband's health, I saw that he would need some sort of medical intervention, but verbatim said, I'm not seeing a stroke or anything serious like that. Two weeks later, my client's husband was at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota undergoing intensive emergency surgery to repair damage from a stroke. He's fine now. He's retired and prioritized his health and he's doing really, really well. They're living in a very expensive house and I talk to them regularly. They're fine. But I think about that moment in my anxiety about delivering bad news. Who knows if it would have been better to tell her what I saw and that I had seen a stroke. Who knows what Baba Vanga's life could have been if it weren't for the tornado. Don't you just hate it when the tornado yeets you into the next dimension and you come back as Dr. Manhattan? (laughs) 
I think something else that I was thinking about earlier today, because really and truly, like, and I know I say this a lot about several of the psychics that we've, well, I don't say this about all the psychics that we've studied, but several of them that I'm like, I'm this kind of person. Like, this psychic is my person. Um, And I think something that's really weird about Baba Vanga, and this is, like, deeply personal, but um, we all know I have migraines and I get migraines with the weather, but um, I got a CT scanner and MRI last year, and um, I have symptoms of intracranial hypertension which causes blindness if untreated. Not saying that I'm diagnosed with that, but that is a thing that like I have to watch really carefully and is something that really could be part of my future, that I could be blind. And I have to wonder if I think about the life that she had and the work that she could continue to do and how she could continue to help people. And I think maybe there's just like this little piece of hope for me that like if that happens to me, if all of these terrible things happen to me, if I go blind, if, um, you know, we can't treat everything that maybe the world will still need me in some way, and that would be okay with me. So I don't know. The Bulgarian government shows up and they're like, we're going to test the coefficient of your correctness uh, by telepathic Do not tell anybody what we are doing here. Uh, Do not say anything against uh, Russian government. Uh, These are all standard rules. Your life depends on it. Yeah, I guess if I go blind and that happens, I'll know that I was the next Baba Vanga. Yeah. But yeah, I think... I don't know. It's been a really interesting and pensive episode for me, and I hope I shared that with people. Well, is it time for you to do your Baba Vanga readings? Well, actually, in my script it says, well, I think it's time to do some readings. Okay. So I guess it is. Uh, You got your sugar cube? Yep. So this is a reading for our friend Patrick. Uh, So uh, Elle approaches me and is like, so we need to do sugar cubes for my episode. And I'm like, <laughs> well, actually, what I said was, hey, RJ, do you have any interest in trying to do a reading for someone? And he said, no, <laughs> no, no. I, uh, if I do a reading for you, it is for fake entertainment purposes only. <laughs> uh, if you want one of those, then you can donate any amount of money to at dollar compliments on Venmo. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, yeah. So in doing this, because. This story was literally the third story I looked into to write. Um, And I actually didn't even mean to write the story. I meant to look at Baba Vanga as part of this other story about Bulgaria that's fucking wild that I'm still going to write a story on someday. But this just obviously uh, really resonated with me and I wanted to share it. Um, So I was like – so. Kind of deciding how I wanted to do the bonus episode because I was like, this is my episode. I can do whatever the fuck I want. This isn't like our normal episode. So do I want to do readings? Do I not want to do readings? And I was like, maybe RJ could do readings. RJ was not going to do readings. So um, when I was looking at this, Baba Vanga had her clients sleep with a sugar cube underneath their pillow and then bring the sugar cube to her. And she would do clairvoyance and psychometry on the sugar cubes. The other thing that she would use was people's watches and she would take them and also do psychometry with them. I mean, I wear this every single day. Do you want a reading? I don't ever take it. Yeah. Off. So this would absolutely count. I could absolutely do a reading. So this with is, that. this is my Pokemon rubber bracelet. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to grab the sugar cube. I'm going to grab my wristwatches, my Pokemon wristband here. And um, for these readings, I'm doing general readings. I am not having people ask a specific question or look at anything specific because I just want to do the shit the way that Baba Vanga did it. 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, Patrick did not ask, uh, where did the Nazis take my brother? Or <laughs> who is the father of my child? Um, yeah. So we'll just do a general. Yeah, we'll just, we'll, it's fine. We'll just – if you don't have any of your own traumatizing questions, that's fine. We'll make them for you. Yeah. <laughs> Store-bought trauma is fine. It's fine if you don't have your own. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! I, uh, you know who has fucking store bought trauma? All the fucking um, uh, sheriffs in Utah signed a petition today saying that they will not enforce any laws that infringe on the Second Amendment. Oh my god! It was god. like imagine trying, like having to pretend to be oppressed so hard that you have to write a law. For something that isn't happening and isn't going to happen. Like you have to write a law saying that you are going to enforce the law. Like it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> at all. That's that's store-bought trauma. <laughs> that's real. Okay. Patrick has labeled this sugar cube specimen 1A. Yes. I like sent over like five sugar cubes. I was like, yeah. So how we ended up with Patrick is I told RJ needed sugar cubes. And I was like, well, we need people to do readings. But obviously I couldn't do it online because I needed people to have the items with them. So these are just the people we have in our life that and literally I didn't even ask Patrick. I sent RJ over to Patrick's house with sugar cubes. And I was like, tell Patrick to sleep with one of these under his pillow. And then we picked it up. So Yeah, I definitely got Patrick's permission. Um <laughs> Uh, but Patrick is in a play I am uh, writing and directing for the Great Salt Lake Fringe Festival uh, called The Lord of Misrule 2, Wrath of the Everyman. Um, it's going to be a fun, ridiculous, blasphemous, rated R play. Um, yeah. That's a fundraiser for the local homeless shelter. Um, so if you're in uh, Salt Lake during the Fringe Festival, check it out. But. Patrick charged the sugar cube with dream magic or whatever. Yeah, he, he said he had all me. sorts of dreams. Yeah. So it's good. Okay. So we're going to do – and I guess part of what makes this episode the bonus episode is that this episode is about Baba Vanga and her life and not the kind of psychic readings she did. So these are just, I don't know, psychometry and clairvoyant readings. Yeah. And I've got um, Patrick's sugar cube. See, I thought you were going to eat the sugar cube. I could eat the sugar cube. I don't know. That That's what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to uh, like, oh, Baba Vanga is blind. And so it has made her other senses more powerful. So she eats the sugar cube and can taste the magic. No. Um, <laughs> and actually, Baba Vanga, the way that she would read is she had movies that would play in her mind, like she would see a movie of something, and that's how she that's how she read, which is super interesting. No, she would just hold on to the sugar cube because you just need someone's energy. So okay. I've got that. I've got Patrick's energy. Um, okay, let's go ahead.
So the first thing that I'm getting with this is just this like infectious, like happy, like I kind of want to dance. I'm like swaying a little bit and I'm like, yeah, let's go do the things. Let's go be excited. And it just feels like there's this kind of new lease on life, that there's this new um, excitement. There's a new hope. There's just this feeling of like, I fucking survived. Like, that's what I keep hearing is I fucking survived. And there's even this like little bit of like a laugh of a kind of like, wow, I can't believe I made it and we did this and like, let's fucking go. Um, And what I'm seeing is I'm literally just seeing this image of Patrick, of you, like with a giant smile across your face like you get and you're wearing a black shirt and your hair is down like in the bun because Patrick has this really beautiful long hair that he wears and like ponytails and buns but I'm just seeing this image of you kind of being ready for this adventure and I'm not sure exactly what this is referring to but it feels like you're meeting someone like I'm seeing you in a park you're standing in a park in a black t-shirt and you have your hair in a bun and you're really excited and there's like this glow on your face and this happiness and there's um someone approaching you like someone coming in and it feels like a woman so I feel like there might be a new romantic interest coming into your life I'm in true Baba Vanga fashion, I'm hearing July 14th, but it feels like July 12th through July 14th feel really important, feel like really, really important dates and they feel like things that you need to look out for. Um, just, uh, your guides say, just fucking let yourself be happy. Like that's their message. It's like, just let yourself be happy. Um, Get out of your own way. Yeah, just be happy. And it feels, oh my God, it just feels so good. It just feels like the first days of summer, like the first time that you get to go outside and put your feet in the grass and you just have that like, oh, life is going to be okay again. And that's what it feels like. So there's a lot of really awesome stuff coming and just this excitement and um, opportunity for some really good stuff if you let yourself have it. Yeah, that's what I get from that. From the sugar cube. Now what do you do with the sugar cube? I'm going to put it in this baggie. I'm going to zip the baggie up. And I'm going to put it over here. Okay, I guess we put it in the Mansi drawer where we put all oh of our other Oh my god, I know. We just have, like, someday we're saving up for our own museum of Mansi's time. We'll be the Zach Bagans of Mansi. Yeah. Or we'll have the Zach Bagans of Mansi. Um, okay, I'm holding on to RJ's wristband now. Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing that I get right now, and this is more just, um, I guess, checking into your current energy, there's anxiety and, like, this nervous kind of energy that you're really having a hard time uh, expressing or, like, externalizing. And it's really important that you find some way to express that or just to talk about it. It feels like there's just, like, things that you're needing to say that you aren't saying that um, are going to come up more and more. And the more that you try to avoid saying them, the worse that's going to go for you. But it feels like all of the anxiety that you're feeling is more um, anxiety than predictive. Like it doesn't feel like there's all of this stuff happening or coming that you're like um, having intuition about or that you're like having spidey senses about. It feels like, okay, this is my anxiety because things are overwhelming. And so it's kind of like communication feels really important. And the biggest thing about communication just feels like setting expectations. Like if you have fucking a lot of homework and you can't get it done, just be like, yo, my shit's going to be late. And if it's going to, if I'm going to get no points, then fuck it. My shit's going to be late and I'm going to get no points and that's fine. But like needing to communicate those things and really needing to um, 
kind of express that and finding a way to externalize it. And I definitely feel like so externalizing um, anxiety or nervousness a lot of times is really great and like doing physical activities. So like working out, playing video games, making art, doing those kinds of things. It just is um, your energy is picking up right now because you've been in obviously this dormant period because of COVID. And now the world is kind of opening up again. So your energy levels are picking up and you're needing to find some way to express that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm very clearly. I'm, I'm kind of the architect of my own anxiety, especially when I get <laughs> yeah. manic, and I yeah. pick up like tons of projects, like the video game I'm working on, plus the play, plus Mancy, plus my homework load yeah, for the, the semester so much. has been ridiculous, plus my day job, working weekends. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, I just have lots of fucking shit going on. Yeah, so it's kind of like I feel like um, finding a way every day, even if it's five or ten minutes every day, where you just sit down and like have some sort of expression of that nervous energy or that anxiety. If that's like I'm going to go for a ten minute walk, if that's um, I'm going to just sit and like play this really intense video game just to kind of get it all out, whatever that looks like for you feels really important and feels like a good way to just kind of manage your energy level so you'll be able to focus on projects a little bit more. Okie doke. Okay, there's that. And yeah, the f- I got this at Comic-Con. Final. How long have you had that for? I feel like you've worn it as long as I've known you. Uh, I've had this since like the first – no, this is from the second Comic-Con that Salt Lake ever had. So like 2014, I want to say. Jeez. Yeah. Um, okay, so the final thing that I have is um, – her other roommate John's watch um, because I've like posted on my Facebook and I was like hey who's local that has a watch that will let me borrow it everyone's like I wear an Apple watch every day and I was like great I need it for six hours to record and everyone was like no but John let me borrow it so this is John's watch let's see so your energy feels a lot like stable like a lot more stable and a lot more settled and it just feels like like I'm going to breathe, like I'm going to just take a minute to kind of gather my thoughts and kind of pull everything in. So it feels like finally you're hitting your stride with a few different things and you're getting a little bit uh, more grounded and a little bit more aware of the things that you need to do. Something um, that I'm understanding is that while everyone felt like they could just relax and hang out in the last year, the last year was just this time when you just kind of went fucking insane and tried to do as many things as you could to figure out where the fuck you wanted to put your energy. And now we're getting to the point that everyone was at where you're just finding that you need to settle that you need to kind of relax into some things and allow things to develop a little bit um there's definitely a sense of allowing um allowing divine timing and allowing the universe to work for you so not being concerned about enforcing or affecting things and not trying to create uh, the perfect circumstance and the perfect instance of all of this different stuff, but really just being able to be like, cool, I'm going to just kind of roll with things for a bit. And I feel like that's going to be really useful. Um, I'm seeing big changes six months to a year from now, but they feel really positive and it feels like things that you actively want to participate in. Um, I'm definitely seeing some really happiness and I'm like seeing... um, 
and this is probably because I know John and I know what's going on in their life, but I am seeing like I have John holding a baby and like a crying baby and that being kind of a source of um, happiness and joy and feeling like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So there's definitely a sense of you settling into the things that you're needing to do in this life and where you're wanting to put your energy and where you're wanting to put your focus. And that stability is going to put you in a really good position. Like starting three months from now, it feels like that stability becomes a lot more rock solid and like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Six months feels like beginning to make active changes in your life. And a year from now feels like, finally, this is the shit that I wanted to be doing all along and like kind of settling into that. So your energy is a lot calmer and a lot more stable and just feeling like you're going to be really supported and put in some really awesome positions in the next little bit. Yeah, that's kind of fun. That's good stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I hope that reading was helpful for you, John. And uh, I hope, uh, Patrick, your magic sugar cube (laughs) reading uh, is helpful for you. Um, So, yeah. Thanks for coming to the bonus episode and giving me a fucking break while I work on all this other shit I'm doing. I hope y'all liked the story. I I really did. So thank you. Um, hit us up on Patreon and I will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mancy. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you want a reading from me, you can find me on Etsy at Laurels of Lux at LaurelsofLux.com or email me at LaurelsofLux at gmail.com. RJ? If uh, you like my stuff, uh, you can get uh, books, and including uh, scripts for plays, if you want to uh, produce a play that I wrote. Uh, you can get the, the rights and scripts from my website, rjwalkerpoet.com. Yeah. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Folker, Arthi Vinka, Me Yu, and Scott Buckley, with a huge, huge, huge special thanks to um, Makeout Videotape for allowing us to use Baba Vanga for this special episode. Thanks so much. That's uh, that's makeoutvideotape.bandcamp.com. Yep, and you can find his information there, as well as he's still actively making art, and you can follow him on his Facebook and go to like some awesome shows he's doing. So definitely show him support, and um, if you ever see him let him know thank you for allowing us to use it 